All right, so how many of you have embraced this whole smart home thing where you talk to devices and they control your home? Some of you, anybody, a couple hands? You're talking to Alexa, you're talking to your phone, you're talking to Google, whatever. Like, that's how you wake up in the morning, right? You're like, Alexa, um, turn on the lights. Alexa, uh, set the thermostat to 72. Alexa, uh, play uh, Way of the Triune God by Tyler Childers. It's a good way to start your day. Alexa, cook me up some bacon and eggs. Make the bacon extra crispy. Some of you, nobody? Most of you look at me like, no, I don't like the government listening to what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I get it. There's some scary stuff with that, right? But uh, if you just think about it and just, I, I, don't know if the, I don't know if the government's listening to us through our devices or not, but I do know that there's somebody listening to us. There's no doubt because my wife and I were talking about how our vacuum cleaner wasn't working. We needed a new one. And all of a sudden, Facebook told me, hey, here's some vacuum cleaners you might like to buy. I'm like, wait a second. What, what's going on? So it's kind of crazy. It's kind of scary. It's kind of, hmm. But it's also a little bit fun. If you just think about it, let me give you some homework. If you have an Alexa, go home today and say, hey, Alexa, we don't talk about Bruno. Just see what it says. I'm not even going to tell you, all right? Just, like, just, just try it out. These devices, are, they, they have some creativity to them for sure. Alexa will beatbox if you want it to beatbox, uh, or she or it. I don't know. what. Uh, it, it, Alexa will tell you a joke. Uh, Alexa will do all kinds of things. My favorite thing, I just found this out while like, researching for this sermon um, obviously, I found out that if you ask Alexa this question, where is Chuck Norris, which is a question we all probably are all wondering, here's the answer Alexa is most likely to give for that. If he wants, if Chuck Norris wants you to know where he is, he will find you. <laughs> and then she says, and if he doesn't, it will already be too late. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. That's, that's, she's not wrong. So, um, Siri does the same thing. You can ask Siri, what does a fox say? And she will try to communicate what the fox says based on that ridiculous song. You can ask her what her favorite music is. And she has several different answers for that, Siri does. And one of my favorite is, uh, I always enjoy more cowbell. That's literally one of the answers that if you ask what's your favorite kind of music. And then uh, you can ask Siri, what's the meaning of life? And one of the possible answers that uh, Siri's been programmed to give is that I'm not sure what the meaning of life is, but all the data seems to indicate it has something to do with chocolate. Once again, not wrong, right? So there, there's just some, there's some strangeness to us, to it, and we're like, okay, are they, are they trying to make the machines smarter than us, outthink us, and all that take over the world and destroy us all? Like, well, on one level, I don't understand what all's going on there, but on another level, I do know that what we're doing is we're programming these computers and these machines. And these devices with as much information as we can possibly put in them so that when you ask a question, they know what the response is supposed to be. There's a proper response to asking these questions. And, and because they have all this data and all this information, you ask a question and a, and a response comes out. And sometimes they get it wrong. It's not perfect, right? Like the, you, can, you can trick them. You can, you can stump them or whatever. But most of the time, it's like you ask a question. That tr- question triggered some information that they've got stored. And then they, they, they give you that proper response response. That's, that's kind of on one level what's happening there. And what I, what I want you to do is I want you to think about Christianity in the context of that idea. That Christianity is different from all the other religions in, in a lot of different ways, but one specific way is that Christianity is simply a response to God, who he is and what he's done. 
that all the other religions will say, hey, there's a God, there's a deity, there's, there's a being, and you, you, you're, like, you've offended him, and you've got to do enough things to get yourself back in good standing with him. You've got to work hard. You've got you to be a good person. You've got to do all these, jump through these hoops. And Christianity says you can't. You can't do that. We were separated from God because of our sin. We were alienated. We were cut off. And God looked at us with love and pursued us and came to us and rescued us. His son took our place. He lived a perfect life, and he took our place on the cross, died the death that we should have had to die so that we could be brought back into a right standing with God. And so Christianity says that all of our life is really just seeing who Jesus is and what he's done and responding to him. And, and that's one way you can see the whole Bible. It's like, hey, God revealing himself to us through his word and us responding. And response is just a part of life. You just stop and think about it a second. Like so much of life is just someone doing something and you having a response. And hopefully you have the proper response, right? Like this, as you walked in today, somebody greeted you and said, hey, how's it going? And you had a proper response. Oh, it's, I'm pretty good. How are you? You didn't, you didn't have a weird response to that. Like you want the proper response. And someone didn't say, hey, how's it going today? And you didn't, you didn't look at them and go, well, my lawyer said I don't have to answer that question. Like that, that's not a proper response. That's an offbeat, weird response. And so all of life is so much of life is you seeing something and responding to it. Today we're celebrating Mother's Day. And it's this one day where we kind of stop and go, man, look at what all my mom did. As you consider mothers and the, the lives they live, the sacrifice they make, all the different things that they do to make, make, make us just survive, right, early on. Like, they take care of everything for us. And one day every year we stop and go, man, I should really be thankful. I should really, we should honor our moms. And what that is is seeing who she is and what she's done and just responding for a day. And then we move on, right? But, like, we respond. That's, that's what life is. And the Bible is basically saying God has revealed himself to us in a scripture. Here's who he is. Here's what he's done. And here's how you should respond. And Hebrews is no different. The writer of Hebrews is basically looking at this, and he's been sp explaining for nine and a half chapters. He's been saying, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done. Jesus is better over and over and over again. Jesus is better. Look at what he's done. He's the great high priest of a new covenant that's better than the old covenant. Look at that. And then in chapter 10, he's going he's to transition. He's going to say, therefore, because of all this truth, here's how we ought to live. And so the first thing he says, therefore, brothers, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh. And, and so the way he says that, he starts with the word since, so you know that there's, there's something coming. Since he's done this, we're going to respond this way. But the two statements that he uses to kind of sum up everything, uh, the first one is since we have confidence in our access to God. Since we have confidence to enter into the holy place, to enter into God's presence. We have access to God. We have confidence in that. The old covenant, they had separations between us and God, communicating with, with a curtain and with a tabernacle and different areas of the tabernacle and, and the temple. You don't get to just approach God. Like, he's separate. He's holy and we're not, and so there's a, there's a barrier. And the high priest could only... Only once a year, one person, the high priest, could go into the holiest place and make an atoning sacrifice just once a year. And he had to do all these things to cleanse himself and atone for his sins before he walked in there. And so he walked in with fear and, like, there was nervousness and trembling. And Jesus has given us access. He tore the veil in two. And the, the way has been made where there wasn't a way before. And so instead of fear and trembling, we have confidence. 
We have confidence that Jesus has given us access. Not that we've earned access or we've done anything to, oh, I figured it out. No, we have confidence in the fact that Jesus has granted us access when we didn't have access before. We've been brought near to him. And the next thing he says is, since we have a great high priest. And, and verse, verse 21, and since we have confidence, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews has been telling us, that Jesus is the true and better, the great high priest, that he's the eternal high priest. This is a new and living way. It's new because it didn't exist before. It was, all the Old Covenant and Old Testament was pointing to that, but it, didn't, it wasn't there until Jesus showed up. And it's living because Jesus is alive, and he's alive as our high priest. And as high priest, he's doing everything we need. He's exactly where we need him to be. The best place for Jesus to be right now is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and helping us, pleading for us, all those things. That's what he's doing, and that's the best thing. Some of you think, well, like if Jesus was here, I would follow him. You know, like if he was here and I could see him like the disciples, I'd walk with him and learn from him. Well, Jesus actually said it's better if he goes to the Father and goes to where he is now because then he'll send us the Holy Spirit who lives in every single one of us and guides us and helps us. So Jesus says, as our high priest, giving us everything we need. Since we have confidence in our access to God, since we have a great high priest, that's, that's the foundation he's given us. In fact, those two statements just summed up the first nine and a half chapters. We could have started right here. <laughs> we spent 18 weeks unpacking this. Last week, Kai's message was titled, Jesus is Better, Part 18. We, just, we could have just jumped in. like, Oh, here's a couple things he's done. Now, how do how we respond to that? But the reality is that we needed it. We needed every bit of that. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says we have this tendency to drift, to wander, to, to, to stop believing that he's better, to go after something else, to try to find what we're really looking for somewhere else. We have this tendency to forget, and so we need all the information. If we're going to live the life of response to him that he desires for us to live, we need a ton of information. We need all of it. We need to know what he says. And so he, said, he spent nine and a half chapters of saying, Jesus is better, new covenant, high priest. Make sure you don't forget that. Make sure you don't drift away from that. And then he gets to this place and he says, now, because he's better, because you have access, because uh, he's the great high priest, here's how you're going to live. And what he does is he gives us three statements in this passage that start with the phrase, let us. And that's the clue. Hey, here's what we do. In response to him, not earning anything, but in response to what he's done for us, let us. And the first thing is this, let us draw near to God. We have access to him. We've been ushered into his presence. We've made right with him. We've brought right into right standing with him. We're, we're part of his family now. We're seated at his table with him. And so let us draw near to him. Let's pursue him. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this confidence and how it should produce a confidence when we're praying that we know that we have access to God because of what Jesus did. That we get to present our request to God and he listens and hears us because Jesus made a way where there was no way. And Jesus, when he was here, he taught about this all the time. He said, hey, your father's a good father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. So ask him. Tell him what you need. So drawing near to God in response to him and seeing what he's done, it's just basically you saying, hey, I need him all the time. I need him in my life. It's not prayer's the last resort after I've tried everything else, but it's like this constant conversation that I'm in communion with him and I'm praying and I'm presenting my requests and I'm adoring him and telling him thank Thank you for all the things. I'm in constantly drawing near to him through prayer. But this drawing near to him 
it's bigger than just prayer. In the context of this passage, it's really talking about worship. It's talking about worshiping the one God who has done all this, the great God, the one who's done all these mighty works, the great high priest, worshiping him. We draw near to him and worship. They used to have all these separations and curtains and dividers, and now we have access so we can worship God and glorify him. So when we gather together like this, we're worshiping God, we're singing songs of truth to him and about him, and we're encouraging each other, all those things, we're worshiping God. But when you talk about the biblical definition of worship, it's so much bigger because it has to do with how we live our lives as a response to who he is and what he's done. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This will be on your screens. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which is your focus. Like, I'm going to focus on the mercy of God shown to me and Jesus taking the punishment that I should have had to take. And here's the response to that mercy. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you get what he says? Hey, look at Jesus. See who he is and what he's done. Let the mercy of Jesus kind of overwhelm you. And then respond with worship. And here's what your worship looks like. Lay your life down for him. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Be a living sacrifice. My life is yours. There's nothing that I could choose outside of your plan for me that would be better. I know your plans for me are better. So I'm going to lay down my agenda, my dreams, my goals, and I'm going to take yours up because they're better. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. Worship is a life of response to God. It's, it's literally following him. I, I, I know him, and he, he's brought me into a right relationship, and I'm, I'm friends with, with God because of Jesus, and now I'm following him. I'm doing what he says. That's what it looks like to draw near to God because of what he's done for us. We draw near. We pursue him in worship. We pursue him in prayer. We, ha- we have access that we didn't have before. Um, this is what he says in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of all that he's done, he's wiped away the guilt. He's forgiven us and we have access and we can, we can draw near to him. We know that he listens. He's, he's in our, involved in our lives. He's helping us. He will help us. He wants to help us. So we can draw near to God. And the second thing, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the second thing he's saying is, let us hold fast to the truth. The writer of Hebrews has said this over and over again. You you have a tendency to drift away from the truth. Hold fast to it. Don't don't stop. Keep going in the journey. Keep believing. Keep trusting in God. There's always temptations around us to walk away from that and try to find something somewhere else. No, stay right there. Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to the truth, which is going to require a fight. It's going to require some work because our culture is basically attacking truth, not just, not just biblical truth, all truth. And our culture is saying there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's no right and wrong. Just do whatever you want to do. And as Christians, we're called to hold fast to the truth in the midst of that culture, even if it costs us. And if it hasn't cost you yet, it will. Like to hold fast to the truth of God's word and the culture that says all this stuff is outdated. It's not, 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 you're not really enlightened like the modern mind. Like you need to give that stuff up. That doesn't work anymore. And to hold fast to this truth that is in our Bibles and say this is absolute, that'll cost us. We've got to hold fast to it. Which means that what we think about God really, really matters. 
what we know and understand. Like, if we want the proper response to live our lives for him, to hold fast, then we have to have the information. We have to have that plugged in. So we gotta read our Bibles. We gotta study our Bibles. We gotta be in community talking about what we're learning in God's word and how it plays out in our lives. And we gotta gather here and sit under the teaching of his word so that we're growing and understanding more and more of who God is and what he's done so it produces the proper response in us. And we've gotta fight for that. We've got to be people that say, I'm going to hold fast to this truth. I'm going to stand firm on this truth no matter what else is happening. Richard Phillips in this commentary on Hebrews that we've used a lot in this series, he said it this way. He says, nothing is more important than what ideas we believe. Nothing so shapes the way that we will live, and nothing is more important to the Christian life than the content of the faith we profess. That's a big statement. Therefore, we are not to be silent nor to compromise the truth we've received, but to hold unswervingly to the gospel truths and promises that give us our hope. He who promised is faithful, says our writer, and we as a result can be faithful to him. Nothing's more important than what we, what we believe about God, which means that, and this is not really a big deal at our church, but it can creep in pretty easily, is that we can't say, I don't need theology and I don't need doctrine and all that stuff. I just want to have a relationship with God. I just want a relationship with Jesus. No. How do you have a relationship with him if you don't know who he is, if you don't know what he's done, if you don't know his character? We have to, our theology feeds into what we understand about Jesus and to our relationship with him, and that shows up in our life. And so we have to hold fast to these truths. We have to seek out these truths. I want to know him as well as I possibly can and then let it transform us from the inside out, show up in our lives. So we hold fast to the truth. We hold fast to our confession. And then in verse 24, he gives us the last of these let us statements. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the last let us is let us consider how to help one another. I love this because it's, it's countercultural. It's not the way we normally think. We think, what's in it for me? We look out for ourselves. That's what we're wired to do. And here in this context of this, he's saying, hey, make sure that in light of what Jesus did for us and who he is, that you're looking for others. And you're, you're considering how you can be involved in others' lives and help other people. And, and as Christians, we're on mission in the whole world. Everybody in the world is our, we're our target. Like we're supposed to share the gospel and bring good news to the whole world. But right here in this context, what he's talking about is the people of God in the church, the community of faith, the body of Christ that we are, that one another, that you look around this room and go, these are the people he's saying you should be considering how you can help one another. And that, that's just not how we're wired most of the time. That's not how we think of it. And he's saying, consider it. Consider how big of a deal this is. That one of the things we want you to do at Crosspoint, we, saw, we talk about this all the time, we want you to serve here. We, we, we know that the, the Bible teaches that everyone has a gift and everyone has a role to play in building up the body of Christ. And so we want every member serving in some way in some ministry here. And we can tell you all the reasons for that. There's so many different reasons for that. And one of them is like, you're missing out if you're not serving. You've probably heard me say that before. Like, if you're not serving here, you're missing out on the blessing of being a part of what God is doing. But here's what this passage is saying, that you serve here because of others. That you consider how me signing up to serve in the children's ministry could be a part of me stirring up others 
to good works. That's, that's literally what he says here. The three things he says is stir up, show up, and lift up. And the stir up here is he talks about stirring up other, one another to love and good works. It's this idea of like how I live and what I say should cause other people to want to follow Jesus too. And so when you sign up to serve and you join in the children's ministry, you're partnering with families, you're coming alongside families to help these kids by showing them your example and teaching them with your words to follow Jesus, that Jesus is better. You're coming alongside them in that process and they get to, these kids get to hear it from another voice, not just their parents. And so all of a sudden you're considering, hey, how, how can me serving in children's ministry be a part of me stirring up someone to love and good works or signing up for youth ministry? And, and it in a day and age where our students, our teenagers are maybe encountering the culture in a way that we don't have to encounter, that they're, they're face to face with so much stuff. And man, they need people to come alongside them that are a little bit ahead of them, or maybe a lot ahead of them, and come alongside them and show them that there's hope. There's, you're you're going to survive this. God's going to be with you. He can get you through it. And show them what it looks like to follow Jesus and to trust Jesus, even when it's hard, so that you stir them up to love and good works. Everything you do to serve could be for considering how you can help others. I'm setting up chairs so that we have a place to gather and everything kind of works smoothly on Sunday. Like to, that's a part of you serving others, considering how to stir up others to love and good works. And that's what he seems to be talking about, stir up. And then he, he also talks about showing up. I don't want you to miss this. In verse 25, he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And this is one of those verses that pastors love to underline. Well, I get to preach this. Don't you skip church, you know? But I want, you, I want you to make sure you understand the context of this. He's talking about others. I could go on for a long time and ruin your Mother's Day lunch right now by telling you all the reasons why it will benefit you to be here on Sundays. Because there's tons. We, we, we drift and we, we tend to forget and we need the reminder all the time. So you coming here and you worshiping, and there's so much benefit to you. But here's what he's saying. It's like consider the benefit to others of you showing up. What this literally means is that somebody else here needs you to be here. That we need to be in this room singing these songs and somebody in this room is struggling and having a hard time and they need to hear you sing the words with all of your heart. Sing the words, I will build my life on your love. Because man, it's hard sometimes to even figure out what that looks like and there's temptation. And I need to hear somebody else sing that, that you're actually here for someone else to consider that your attendance here is about so much more than just you and just me. That your attendance here is not just about us counting numbers so that we can build a building with enough seats and all that stuff. I mean, numbers are important. We count attendance. We do all those things. But numbers aren't ultimate. They're important. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers, but they're not ultimate. When, when, when the Bible here is talking about worship, please don't misunderstand me. We're here first and most foremost to worship God. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. But guess who's second? It's not me. It's, it's y'all. It's others. One another. How can I consider how my attendance and my faithfulness here and joining with God's people is actually something that will help the people around me? Who, who would that benefit? Well, everybody, right? But let's just talk about as a parent how, how that benefits your kids. For you to communicate to your kids that Gathering with God's people to worship God and to learn from God's word is primary for us. And we're going to be here every week. 
That communicates so much that they, they desperately need to hear. They, they need to see it. They're going to catch it before they, they hear it taught, right? So they need to see it. And I know in our culture it's really, really hard. I get it. I'm not pointing fingers. It's really hard because everything's trying to creep into our schedules. Everything's trying to push out Sunday morning and Wednesday night and all the things. And it's so easy to give into that. You think, man, this is going to be helpful. I need it for them. But have you just considered that letting something else creep into this might be communicating to your kids that that is more important than this? I'm not telling you how to live your life, y'all. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible says. Consider. Consider how important this is, how valuable this really is, and what you want to communicate to your kids. And so it can just start there, but it starts, like it's so much bigger. It's everybody in the room. We need each other. So consider that your faithfulness and you showing up here and you struggling with your kids who are squirming and all that stuff might be exactly what somebody else needs to see in this room to encourage them in their journey with Christ. And speaking of encourage, that's the last thing, lift up. He says, but encouraging one another. To, to, to walk in this room and think, who can I encourage today? You understand, it's so countercultural because some of us, you just barely got here today. You're just happy everybody has clothes on, right? Like, like we made it. And it's so me-focused, and I get it. We've all been there. And here's what he's saying. Hey, consider, because of what Jesus has done, consider how you can encourage somebody else today. And I know that that may sound intimidating because maybe you don't know exactly what that looks like. Let me, let me give you a baby step. Introduce yourself to somebody today. Somebody you don't know. We've been on this crazy journey for the last two years. Really, we've almost tripled since COVID. We've almost doubled in the last year. God has been giving us this growth. There's nothing, we're, we're not any smarter than we were back then, and we're, we weren't smart then. God's been growing this church. And when, when a church grows like this, I know how it feels because I'm one of you, and you walk in and you go, man, I don't know anybody anymore. Who are these people? They're, everybody seems new. And it's hard because then you find yourself like, I've done this, man. I promise you, I've done this. I've introduced myself to somebody. I'm like, hey, are you new here? And they're like, no, I've been here for several months. And we actually lead a community group. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really just a part-time pastor. That's right. <laughs> it, it's embarrassing. It's, it's like, oh, I, I get it. So let me, let me give you a hint. Don't ask somebody if they're new here. Just introduce yourself to somebody you don't know. It doesn't have to be somebody new. It just has to be somebody you haven't met yet. Hey, I don't think we've met yet. My name's Lance. How long have you been at Crosspoint? They're new, they'll tell you. That's great. If, they, if they've been around a while, then that's a good chance for you to meet them. That's, that could be the encouragement that somebody needs. Like we hear all the time that people come in and find a church home because they get connected to people here. Not just a pastor, not just someone on staff, but actual people that talk to them and introduce themselves. And all of a sudden they become friends, they get in community. All these things happen because somebody was willing to take the small step of going, I don't think I know that person, I'm going to go introduce myself. Well, just, just do that step and see what happens. Maybe you're the one that's new and you don't know anybody. Well, introduce yourself to some of these people. Some of them are pretty good. It, it could really work out. Like, just take that step. And that could be the encouragement that somebody needed to keep going. You don't know what people are walking in with, what kind of baggage, what kind of pain, what kind of struggle they're in. And just encouraging somebody to, to meet somebody new. Don't let your pastors be the only ones that are embarrassing themselves like that. Just step out there. In, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. In light of the greatness of Jesus, how much better he is, the great high priest, he's given us everything we need. Let us, therefore, draw near to him. Hold fast this truth and consider how we can be others-focused as we're on this journey together. Let's pray.
God, thank you for the truth from your word, and thank you for the, uh, the, the theology, the, the, the doctrine, the information that we need to know. We need to know who you are and what you've done so that it can produce the response of our lives lived for you and for your glory. And so I pray that you would help us not just to hear this word, but to be doers of it and respond with it, with jumping into serving or just meeting some new people and just seeing what you are at, at work doing in this body. And we thank you for that. In the powerful name of Jesus who makes that possible, we pray. Amen.